So, hello and welcome. My name's Steve Nabell, and today I'm speaking with Roxana Padmini on Soul Pleasures. Now, Roxana started her working life as a Steiner teacher, which she did for a decade. She went on to study healing with the Barbara Brennan School of Healing and studied and taught Tantra for some years. And then she found the non-dualistic, Kabbalistic part of healing with Jason Schulman, which she now teaches, offering workshops and retreats in Britain and also, I believe, America, drawing on the teachings of Kabbalah and also her uh, studies in Tantra. And her website is thegreatintimacy.com. So welcome, Roxana. Thank you. Lovely to be with you, Steve. Now, when I met, we talked about this podcast. And when you mentioned soul pleasures, I jumped at it because it's such a paradoxical statement. And because spirituality has been traditionally a path where pleasure has been avoided rather than embraced. So can spirituality be pleasurable? Well, let's look at pleasure. You know, for the most part, pleasure has been something that we've been taught to um, focus on primarily from our ego desires. Mm. We've been really, um, especially in modern society, with the amount of images, advertising that we're accustomed to seeing and that draws us in through our mobile phones, through you know every avenue, what we're being directed towards are essentially what I would call junk food pleasures. (laughs) You know, they seem like instant gratification. How many hours and minutes have we whiled away being lured by an image on our phone or on our computer and then to, you know, some essentially piece of advertising? Mm. Um, There's all sorts of ways in which our very nature is to follow the path of pleasure And yet, pleasure has been, um, it's like it's been co-opted just by the ego. It's been held in that domain only. And what I'm talking about is the kind of fulfillment, happiness, contentment, joy, levels of connectedness that we actually truly want, that will really meet our deeper nature, meet our hearts, meet our longings, that kind of pleasure actually only comes if we allow ourselves to enter the domain of the soul, to enter our deeper desires. Mm. And, you know, those deeper desires are actually, they have a kind of rebellious aspect to them. They cause a commotion. They cause change. And even the desire for enlightenment, Mm. it's actually a desire. It's a desire to not be so alone, stuck in our ego-only, separate, skin-encapsulated sense of self. It's the desire to have this deep, deep connection with life, to open out of um, an awareness that is constantly looking at itself, comparing itself, um, judging itself, being concerned about its survival only. The, The whole journey and pathway and tradition of enlightenment is about opening out of that ego self however what draws us to that path is ultimately desire Mm. it's desire for something more meaningful desire for something that nourishes us at a deeper level Mm. so desire is actually at the root of our choices and our life on so many levels i mean it's what brought us into the universe isn't it yeah for sure How can we tell the difference between 
a soul desire and an ego desire? The, you know, the way that we start to get familiar with this is that um, from a life where in everyday life we are actually mostly living in the in our ego self alone. And the gaze is often turned to the outer. Mm. The, the values that we're, we're picking up are the values of the culture, the conditioning, um, what the world around us values. And it's very easy to get hooked into the bright, shiny, um, you know, jewels that the, the current culture provides us so for example fame power money cars women men mm. you know bodies sexuality in a very um immediate sense of um connection so the kind of desires that take us out of ourselves take us into the world mostly when they start in the external environment, mm. when they're stimulated by something that's come along in the external environment, um, you could say that most often that will be connected to, to our ego self. Mm. And there's something else. There's something that is not so easily discernible if we're not paying attention to ourselves because to access our deeper desires, our soul desires, we need to have turned in. Mm. We need to have quietened enough of the mental chatter. We need to have dropped below the, the shoulds of society, the shoulds of our parents, the shoulds of our culture or religious upbringing, and to be able to discern what is self, mm. but the depth of the self. And so... Just that alone is something that we're not accustomed to. And then to have the desires of the self um, be accessible, there has to be this journey inward. There has to be this journey of listening to ourselves, listening beyond the everyday voices that we have. Because even in ordinary life, we've really fragmented, you know, we wake up and our stomachs want one thing and our heads want the other and we reach for the phone and we plan our day and we think about what we're going to do afterwards and a whole jumble of selves are competing for attention, a whole jumble of different aspects of our lives. So to access soul desires, to start to sense what that means, often is not a simple answer it's actually a process it's a process of being in touch with ourselves mm. starting to understand the different fragmented aspects of self and then what lies beyond that what lies deeper what what's more enduring mm. where are the hungers in us that actually we've been covering up quite often with a lot of fear and protection and defense. You know, on one level you think that desires are something, everyone knows what they desire, and yet if we're talking about deeper desires, the more we enter our hearts, the more our desires, excuse my French, scare the shit out of us. <laughs> 
Yeah, because the more we go in, the more our desires ask us to move in ways that are unpredictable. We enter the unknown, we enter new relationships, we enter new situations, we go for something, for example, in our career that we never imagined we could. We're coming out of the box of what we thought we could be, what the limitations that we've acquired through, you know, whether that's culture, society, conditioning, family, upbringing, personal experiences, we're being asked to to grow, essentially, to grow out of that box. And our deep desires always do that. Wow. What about um, sex and spirituality? I know this is, a, is an area that you have gone into with Tantra, because Tantra is one of those beautiful paths that really unites sex and spirituality, but so many have sought to separate can you say something about this unification of sex and spirit? I think to say something about the unification, I, could, I need to start with the separation. Yeah. You know, the separation of sex and spirit comes um, from a whole range of um, cultures and spiritual traditions that essentially are... Now, this connects to my work... Um, that is non-dual, but they, this whole separation comes from a perspective that is dualistic, that is basically saying there is something that is matter and there is something that is spirit. And the world of spirit is something beyond and something refined and above and it's the home of the good and the holy and the home of God. Mm. And the physical plane is basically where we've kind of been exiled, we have to live this life out, but we're trying to earn our way back into the realm of the divine, the spiritual. And therefore, everything that belongs to matter, everything that holds us into this physical domain, um, we need to purify ourselves from, we need to separate out from. And this perspective is this dramatic and... Um, deeply painful severing of reality because it's creating two domains out of one and the non-dual perspective is that dualism the fact that there are opposites the fact that there seem to be um, distinct separate things in the world up down, day, night, man, woman, that yes, this domain exists. However, this domain is embedded with oneness, with wholeness, with the realm of spirit. That's, this is the, a non-dual perspective, that our dualistic universe isn't separate from a universe that is unified that is the home of the good, the home of the divine, that is the home of joy and happiness and ultimate nirvana. The non-dual perspective is that dualism and oneness exist together right here, right now. And accessing that is what is hard for us human beings, that requires some re-education for us human beings. Um, but the old pathways, the old spiritual traditions, um, they... I think the complexity of non-dualism, the, um, the reality of that was something that they moved away from and created this 
this universe, this perspective of a huge split. And so sex is therefore completely seen as connected to the physical sexual pleasure, seen as something base, and it's only everything that leads us to spirit, to purity, um, that we ought to be, be following. And so many people's lives for hundreds, thousands of years have been colored by that perspective where our physicality is essentially regarded as something base. Mm. You know? And to regard our very body, to regard our very presence here in the physical plane as a, as a problem, you know, it's, it's starting... It brings us into life with such a um, a blind spot to to the, our real nature. Just mm. a severe split that is built into the system. You know, it's built into the syntax of the whole system that we're we're educated into. Mm. You know, I'll give you an example of this. The other day, some I was sitting in a cafe, and somebody started talking about. A rap song, a rap, and this conversation led into you know rap songs, men talking about having sex with men, and then to a woman led the conversation led to something about a female singer speaking about um, I don't know what it was, something like a song that went my I think it's like my tits, my ass, my crack, my whatever, you know. Yeah. It, you know, crude descriptions of body parts. Yeah. And um, so they started to talk about how, oh, and, you know, and then women sing songs like this. And I said to them, you know, what is she singing about? She's singing about body parts. You know, take a look outside of that window. Look at that tree. You know, we would never say, oh, look at that tree. It's just exposing its roots. Oh, my God, it's just shameless. Look at you can see every leaf. Oh my God! Now it's shaking its leaves. Hmm. You know, you wouldn't do that. <laughs> well, the tree is as much, you know, its physicality is given to it just as much as our physicality is given to us by life. Hmm. But somehow, certain body parts have been labelled crude, you know, unseemly for public conversation, um, and it's not that. Sex doesn't have um, a natural realm of privacy and protection that we may want around it in some in, in, in some areas. However, the the wholesale making of the human body, the splitting of the human body into the acceptable and the unacceptable, the um, the sexual being obviously part of the unacceptable. Um, it creates a deep separation of ourselves from our nature. Yeah. And pleasure with a spirituality that treats the body in that way, of course, pleasure is going to go out of the window. Yeah. Pleasure is going to go out of the window. And your question was, how does it come back together? So if we come into an understanding that actually the spiritual, the world of the divine, the world of oneness and connection, it belongs right here, right in the world of duality, right in the world of 
man, woman, day, night, separate objects, um, separation and oneness simultaneously happening. If we have that perspective, then all of the body belongs, the sexual parts, the seemingly non-sexual parts, you know, the body is um, simply another flowering of nature, of life, mm. and everything that belongs here um, belongs to life, belongs to to the divine, to wholeness. And yeah. for me, one of the most succinct ways of talking about this, now that I've given you the long-winded answer, <laughs> is, is a quote by William Blake. <laughs> and it's this is the quote. Mm. The lust of the goat is the bounty of God. Mm. <laughs> That's an interesting quote. Isn't it? The lust of the goat is the bounty of God. I mean, set, there you go. There you have it. Sex, spirit, it's God's harvest. You know. Well, a, f a friend of mine uh, who lives in Japan came back, and we were just talking conversation. And he brought up this, this thing about, we were talking about, I don't know, language and culture. And he said, in Japan, they don't have the same swear words as we do in England. And what he said was that in England, most of our swear words are associated with shame around sex and body. You know, someone's a bastard or some, you know, all this kind of thing. And in Japan, they don't do that because of their upbringing and their culture. They're not, they don't have the same shame base or th thinking around their body. And this was quite a revelation for me because it's almost like, seemed to me universal that we have this kind of shame way of thinking about the body and sexuality. How can we separate or heal shame when we're so immersed in it? So with shame, you know, the, what happens in shame is that we diminish ourselves, you know, when we feel shame, a retraction, there's a pulling back. Mm. If I look at shame in a broad perspective, there's a version of shame that is a natural part of our, I could say, emotional range. And its job is to pull us back into alignment with ourselves. So, for example, if I've taken something that doesn't belong to me, and then something, then I feel a sense of shame. Um, it's about that shame is on the healthy side of the spectrum of shame, um, because its mission is to bring me back to myself. Mm. However, shame has been, you know, used by authority, by religion, to indoctrinate us in all kinds of ways, and it's been. And the burden of shame has been placed upon us from the outside. So, you know, society has deemed the sex and sex out of marriage or sex of certain types is wrong. And therefore, anyone engaged in that has this judgment placed on them from the outside. Mm. To clear ourselves of that kind of shame, the shame that actually is crushing us, diminishing us, limiting us, and it comes from other people's judgments rather than a fine-tuning of our own conscience. Um, that kind of shame, it requires, again, like I, when I spoke about desire, this journey back to the self because it requires this um, sifting process for us to see what are our values, 
what is being placed upon us from the outside? What do we truly believe? What are we told to believe? And the, the sifting and refining of what really belongs to me and what doesn't is the beginning of the process of clearing that shame and the allowing the areas of our life that the shame has been placed upon to, to be looked at afresh. So, for example, sexuality to be looked at afresh. I mean, I grew up in a Muslim family. There was a huge amount of shame placed upon the human body. Yeah. However, this sifting process of what belongs to me and what belongs to the other um, actually happened in a really simple way because through doing the tantric meditations and having a re-education around sexuality where the body in its entirety was honored, was honored as a place of the divine because every part of existence Every tree, every flower is also part of that divine. Having that perspective um, started to help me discern, oh, this is just what I've inherited. This doesn't really belong to me. And actually, shame can fall away very, very easily mm-hmm. when we, we bring in the true, when we bring in the space for direct contact with these parts of ourselves. Brilliant. Now, I, I, when we had that cafe chat, we talked a lot about the ego, and uh, you, you mentioned it at the beginning of this talk. Some paths teach that the ego is the enemy, but I, infer, I know that your own perspective is that about softening it, embracing it, treating it res- with respect and compassion. Can you say some more about that approach? So, um, you know, for most of us, we spend most of our conscious waking hours pretty much in the ego self. It's the part of us that says I, that says I am, that we regard as being the the space of self. However, it's a narrow domain ultimately. And what the spiritual traditions have wanted us to do is to grow out of that self. However, because of this split that I'm talking about, um, in spiritual paths splitting what is matter um, what is spiritual, what is important what is not Um, there has been this attitude that in order to experience wholeness in in order to experience the divine that the ego is actually in our way because that's, you know, it's seen as this kind of selfish, smaller aspect of ourselves and although in its unintegrated, separate, and slightly distorted state, the ego is that, the ego is also a crown of creation. It really is a crown because it's our individuality. Think of a two or three-year-old when they first start to drop the word me and they start to use the word I. There's this sense of coming into themselves. There's a sense of power and strength and delight in having an I, in being an I. And each human being has a uniqueness that is never going to be repeated. That is connected both to the soul and also to the ego. The ego is that part of us that 
can claim self and is is um, you know it's given a bad rep in spiritual circles because there hasn't been a lot of understanding in terms of psycho- the psychology of human beings. There's kind of gap in many spiritual traditions where the information that we have is really coming to us from traditions that are thousands of years old. And as venerable and precious as the wisdom is, we've learned things in the last few thousand years. Humanity has grown and evolved, and there are things we need to add to those traditions. And some of what we need to add is some of the understanding through psychology of how the ego develops, how the self comes in and starts to, from being a tiny embryo in the womb, starts to emerge as, oh, I'm an entity, I'm an independent little universe. And we're designed to be an independent little universe. However, if we get stuck in being only an independent little universe, we experience loneliness, we experience separation, we experience difficulty in relationship, and we experience this lack deep in in the core of our being where we're aching for connection. And that ache for connection is actually the the driving force that takes most people to a spiritual path. And that ache is it the ego has a mission connected to that ache because the ego, when softened, when cared for, when healed out of its separate only view, the ego is actually the vehicle for us to start to go on this path and then it starts to not take center stage it stops being the vehicle only something else can take over our soul nature can take over our soul nature can come to the forefront and direct our lives and this is the work of soul pleasures we start with the ego we start with where we're struggling we start with how we're limited and we start to heal and open out into the depths of our being so deeper aspects of our humanity can rise, can be nourished, can guide us. So this is the way they're linked. And from a non-dual perspective where difference and wholeness exist simultaneously, the ego belongs, everything belongs. Now, Roxana, I know you're a very busy uh, teacher, healer. What are you up to in terms of offerings and events at the moment? So there's um, a really profound training I'm preparing for. It's a very in-depth, long four-year training. It's in, in healing and awakening. And as part of the preparation for that, I'm doing a whole range of events Um, in London, online, some in Denmark, um, and some in Holland. I'll be be visiting a few different places um, to offer this work. And um, so so the body of work that I'm going to be opening out in these smaller experiences are, um, it's going to be in online classes and 
face-to-face workshops. In London, I'll be doing a workshop in October, on the first Sunday of October, and there'll be more dates on my website. But um, I think something that's very accessible for pretty much everyone is the Soul Pleasures classes. And they're going to be for, on, for three weeks on a Tuesday, starting on the 5th of September. So they're the 5th through to the 19th. And it's an hour and a half, it's talk, it's dialogue, it's sharings, meditations and practices that you can take into your life. It's very much about where you're living in the moment, what you're struggling with or what you're in love with, where you want to take that. We're really going to be starting with where people are and opening into um, this body of work that I teach around the pleasure of accessing our deeper nature. Beautiful. Now, I know you're going to offer a very brief meditation, Roxana, so I'll pass it over to you. And, Thank uh, you. Off you go. Yeah. So this meditation comes from my teacher, Jason Shulman, and um, he's the founder of the school, A Society of Souls, um, through which I'll be offering this training in healing and awakening. And this is one of the core meditations, and we could say that the mood of it lives in everything that I teach and everything that the school teaches. And I'm going to teach this because it's not something you can simply delegate to, oh, I can do that for 10 minutes a day in the morning or when I'm alone on my meditation cushion. This is a meditation that you can take into your life. You can take the mood of it into your life as an attitude um, applied to both yourself and another. So... Let's begin. The meditation is called Inviting Everything In. And to begin with, allow yourself to simply be with your breath. You don't need to alter it. Bring your attention. Breath naturally changes as we bring our attention in. And then sense the space of your heart. And the space I'm referring to is in the center of your chest, in the midline of the body, not so much the physical heart, the energetic heart center, midline of the body. Sense the space of your heart. The place of the heart can accept contradiction, paradox, opposites. It's the mysterious center of consciousness of healing. And we're going to invite different aspects of our nature to come and be in the heart center. We're going to invite different parts of ourselves. So for example, inwardly, 
you may notice different aspects of yourself and you'll speak to them like this. You, the one who wants deeper contact with self, welcome, come in, be here. Imagine that aspect of your own nature, or you feel that aspect, and you allow that part to come in and be in your heart, just as it is, without altering, without changing. And then you notice more aspects. You, the one who is scared to commit to what you truly long for, welcome, come in, be here. You may notice the other part. You, the courageous one, welcome, come in, be here. You, the one who resists, welcome, come in, be here. notice what's happening in yourself in this moment what part of you is alive is asking for attention is active perhaps there's a nervous part a quiet part, a bold part, an ambitious part, a joyful part, a part who knows, a part who senses deeply. And keep inviting those parts to be here, to be welcome. breaths, noticing how are you now having invited in these aspects
Thank you.